morning and greetings to each one in Jesus' name. I want to thank, thank the church for praying, and many, many of you all texted me or called me, or, and even those who didn't. I, I felt your prayers this week. This, this was, I enjoyed this study. It was probably one of the harder passages or sections to, to kind of figure out where to, where to go with it. Um, I enjoy the study. I struggle with, with putting it in a presentable form, and a passage like this is, is tough. Um, and so I'm not going to cover this, this whole passage probably the way that some of you would love, um, but this is the direction I felt led to go this morning. We, we kind of ended at verse 10 last time, and, and so I'm not doing some of these verses justice, but, but I, see, I see in verse chapter 12 here, verse 9 to somewhere verse 13, Paul gives us just some, kind, some, some general spiritual qualities or, or traits that we should have in the church and how we, how we relate to each other, how we walk, how we do life as brothers and sisters. And then somewhere about verse 14, it seems, he shifts his focus and you see now, it feels like he's now giving teaching to, to how we relate to those outside of the church. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. How do we relate to those outside of the church, those around us? And then specifically the idea, and it comes through a number of times, how do we relate to people, or how do we handle when evil or wrong is done against us? How do we respond? So we, I'm pretty sure we'd all agree that as a Christian, there's something different. Jesus expects something different of us than what the world responds. There's a difference. There's definitely a difference. What does that look like? Um, and, and so specifically this morning, there's a number of verses where he specifically addresses that. You see that in verse 14, blessing them which persecute you. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. And then 19, 20, and 21, where it talks about not avenging yourselves, but feeding your enemy, giving him drink, heaping coals of fire on his head. And then verse 21 also is a really interesting idea. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What is your response when evil is done against you? Think about maybe the last time you experienced, and, and we, we just hardly experience evil <laughs> done against us in America, but, but it may be in different ways. What, what is your response? What has been your response? I want us to consider that this morning. We can talk about this idea of how we should respond, and, and even in this study, um, I was convicted. It's, it's easy to, there's this ideal and then yet we go do life somewhere, some way differently. And so this morning, my prayer for this morning was that we're not just challenged, but that if we aren't living this way, that we're willing to, to change and live this way. Let's look briefly at, at just how, how Jesus handled wrong or evil done against him. And... It recently, with, with Easter and Passion Week and all that, I was again reading the story of Jesus and, 
and his trial and his death. And there's three things that really jumped out at me. I'm just going to briefly look at these. There's three responses that he gave us, examples. I think we should do these. Um, he showed compassion. And you see that in Matthew 26, where he's in the garden, and Judas comes with, with the uh, temple guard. And they're going to tie him up or take him. Peter brings his sword out, cuts off the man's ear. I'm reading into the story, but likely the man, Peter was likely defending Jesus. And so he likely cut the very man who was coming at Jesus to tie him up. That's, that's just my guess. I'm not going to argue about it. But what did Jesus do? He first rebukes Peter, tells him to put his sword away. Then he chose compassion to that man, heals his ear. That's the first response, an example for us. He shows compassion to the person doing evil to him. Uh, the second one that really jumped out to me is he remains silent. He doesn't defend himself. This one is tough. This one is tough. To, but this is an example Jesus gave us. Um, and you see this when he's in front of the Sanhedrin and they're throwing all kinds of false accusations at him. And they ask him, aren't you going to Aren't you going to answer? Aren't you going to defend yourself? It says in Matthew 26, I think it's verse 63, he remained silent. He did not defend himself. And the other example he gave us, very clear, loud example, through the whole story, but also very specifically in this, in Luke 23, it talks about when he was praying for forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them as they're driving the nails in his hands. He prayed for the very ones he loved the very ones that persecuted him, that crucified him. Three examples. He showed compassion, he did not defend, and he loved. I think we should strive for that example, strive to, to live that example. When we are treated wrongly, you could say, or evil is done against us. And, and so it's easy to think as we're going through this, it's very easy to think specifically of persecution. And we don't experience that in America. We really don't. There's some people that claim that they've been persecuted. We really don't experience persecution. But maybe there's some other ways that we experience evil. Maybe there's people take advantage of us. That's a really common one, especially in business. Um, maybe your neighbors, for ladies. Maybe there's interaction with neighbors, and, and you experience mean things said about you, or, or there's just, there's hardship. How do we respond to this? And I want us to think about this practically as we go through this. I want to focus the next part, portion on, on this verse 21. I'm not trying to skip the other verses that talk about evil, but this, this idea of where it says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What is he saying there? And this is the direction I went with it. it. It gives the implication that we're in a battle. It says, don't be overcome, but overcome. Um, if this morning I talked about Ukraine and Russia, and I, or tomorrow morning you would find out in the news that Russia overcame Ukraine, you would assume there was a victory won for Russia and Ukraine was defeated. That's the term we use when we talk about overcoming or be overcome. Paul is, is talking about a battle here. Don't be overcome of evil. 
but overcome. Paul is encouraging us to overcome evil. So how do we overcome, or how do we, may I use the word, fight? How do we fight? I don't think we're, not, we're called to not fight. So how do we fight? And I have three ways this morning, and I thank you, Cliff, for bringing in the, the idea of prayer. That's the first way that I think we're called to fight, this fight against evil. Do, do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we fully understand what prayer is? And do we believe the power that we were given? I think it's a powerful weapon God has given us to do warfare with. And that's one aspect of prayer. There's other parts of prayer. And this, okay, around AD 250, this would have been 200, 250 years after Christ died, the time of Rome, there was an emperor, and I forget the emperor's name, but there was an emperor that, and, and a large group of the, the Roman um, Empire at that time was really starting to give the Christians a hard time for, for not fighting for the empire, for not defending their country, you could say. And, and the accusation was that you as Christians don't do anything for your country. Would that be true of us? You don't do anything for your country. Origen, an interesting man, but he says this, and I think he says it well. He responds to this. He says, to this is our answer, that we do help kings when needed. But this is, so to speak, a divine help, putting on the whole armor of God. And we do this in obedience to the commandment of the apostle. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority. So the more anyone excels in godliness, the more effective the help is that he renders the, to kings. This is a greater help than that what is given by soldiers who go forth to fight and kill as many of the enemy as they can. Our prayers defeat all demons who up, stir up war. Those demons also lead persons to violate their oaths and to disturb the peace. Accordingly, in this way, we are much more helpful to kings than those who go into the fields to fight for them. And we do take our part in public affairs when we join self-denying exercises to our righteous prayers and meditations, which teach us to despise pleasures and not be led away by them. So none fight better for the king than we do. Indeed, we do not fight under him, even if he demands it. Yet we fight on his behalf, forming a special army, an army of godliness, by offering our prayers to God. And the idea, there's a lot of words in there, and the way he says it is maybe a little hard to understand. But the idea is we are more effective than the soldier who goes out to battle. Do you believe that about prayer? These Christians understood that idea the power they were given through prayer, and also the responsibility that they were given. Prayer as a weapon against evil. It's a powerful way to fight. Is that one of your weapons that you use? Let's, let's not under, underestimate the power of prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray continually. 
I don't think that's just this idea of, of just haphazardly praying. We talked about that a little bit this morning. I think it's a very intentional, very intentional, pray continually. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2 is a really interesting passage. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And I've heard this verse many times, and the emphasis is usually that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. But that's not the, really the emphasis. The emphasis is that we pray for, that we pray for. We pet get petitions, prayers, and intercessions for all people, especially for those in authority. It's a way to fight evil. Prayer is a way to fight evil. I think it's the way we should fight evil especially evil done against us. And, and that's kind of what we're thinking about this morning, being not, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you actually believe that, that idea that you are more effective on your knees than the man out in the battlefield? That's a powerful, powerful idea. It should be, we should live accordingly. All right, the second, the second way that we are called to fight this fight, not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Second way we're called to overcome evil is with love. And he actually points that out here in, in Romans 12, verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger him, sorry, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. I don't think it's possible to have this kind of response to an enemy without the love of God in our lives. Love. Is love a powerful weapon against evil? Let's turn to Matthew 5. And as we read this, let's remember that this, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm reading here, this is Jesus' words. And again, this isn't this... this something we aspire to. This is the way Jesus calls us to live. And so as we read this, think about that. This is the way we are, we are intending, intended to live. Matthew 5, I'm going to read verse 38 to 45. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn thou not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he that maketh, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I, I really struggle sometimes with the term non-resistance, and I know some of you all hold it. 
I, I really do. And it's, there's a lot that goes into the idea of non-resistance, and so I, I, I understand that. But I don't, I don't see us being called just to, to not resist. Just, just that can be, tend to be a passive. I think we've, we've taken on that term a little much in our lives, this idea of just passive. Evil, I'm, I'm not involved. I can't resist. What I see in this passage, and you see this again and again throughout the Bible, is, is action. Jesus calls us to action in response of evil. And you see that here. In the face of hatred and evil, we're called to love, we're called to bless, we're called to pray for, we're called to do good to, and that's, any, that's to someone who hates and despitefully uses us. That's called to action. This is the way we're supposed to fight this fight against evil. It's not a passive, it's not a passive attitude. Jesus calls us to love those who take advantage and despitefully use us. That's a hard, that is a hard one. And I think it's one of the most powerful ways that we're called to overcome evil with. Verse 45 is a really interesting idea. It says all these things that we're to do, and it says, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. A mark of the child of God is someone who loves his enemies. That's a mark of someone who, someone who loves his enemies. And Luke 6.35 is a very parallel idea. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the, grateful, to the ungrateful and the evil. It's a parallel idea there. This is only possible with God's love in our lives, God's power and God's love in our lives. And so to a natural man, this doesn't make sense. And too often to myself or to us, it doesn't make sense. It's a struggle to, to really understand and live this way. Napoleon had a really interesting quote about love. And this was towards the end of his life, and I think he was exiled. It was after he had conquered most of the known world, and then his empire had fallen. And, and you may have heard this before. This is Napoleon's words at the end of his life. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of people would die for him. That's the power of love. Third, <coughs> excuse me. The third way that I think we're called to fight this fight, to, we're called to overcome evil. And this is maybe a somewhat a parallel idea to, to love, 
but it's a little different. And I think it's kind of the ultimate weapon in the life of a Christian. It's the cross. It's the cross. First Corinthians. Um, you may turn there if you want. I'm just going to look at one verse. First Corinthians 1. <clears throat> verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, to, unto us which are saved it is the power of God. It's, it's a completely foolish idea, this idea of Jesus bearing his cross, dying to overcome evil. That's why he did it. To take our punishment. He laid his life down for us. It's foolishness to the world. But to those who believe, what is it? It's the power of God. There's a tremendous power in the cross. <clears throat> and, and, you know, probably the hardest thing in the Christian life is that Jesus calls us to daily take up our cross. It's the same idea, the daily take up our cross. That's the example he set for us, the power of the cross. <clears throat> I, I think as a Christian you gain, and I actually I've seen this in some brothers' lives, you gain a tremendous power when because of, the, because of the work on the cross and because you've been willing to take on your cross, you've already lived that living sacrifice like he talks about in the beginning of, of chapter 12, Romans 12 there, he's, he's, you're a living sacrifice, you, you're, you're already dead to yourself in essence, and you no longer fear death. There's a tremendous power in that. And not something that I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience, but I, I really think that we as a church need to regain the willingness to follow Jesus wherever or in whatever situation, whether it's day to day or whether it's in a different country. Follow Jesus where he calls us despite the possibility of death. Or suffering. Maybe it's just suffering. Suffering or death. And there's a, let's go back to, to Matthew 5. Maybe you're still there. Matthew 5. <clears throat> Again, this is early part, earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, verse 11. We're going to look at verse 11 and 12 there. How often do you hear this? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. <clears throat> Some of this was really hard for me to again just take in and maybe evaluate where I am and my lack of willingness for some of this stuff, to live some of this. And, and Paul understood this idea so well, this, uh, the idea of, of it's a blessing to bear the reproach for Jesus' name, to bear reproach for Jesus' name. And you see that Paul and Silas are in prison and they're singing, they're praising God. They were suffering. Um, Philippians 1-2, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you actually say that? I, I struggle with that verse. I, I know it's truth. 
but it's, it's hard to actually live that way. And, and you would see that also um, if you want to do something sometime, even just read part of the martyr's mirror and, and you'll see just the tremendous again and again and again joy shown by the one who was suffering for Christ. They understood this, dying for Jesus. That's the power of the cross. And you know, again and again, those experiences and someone being willing to die, whatever situation it was, more times than not, there was someone watching that then gave their life to Jesus. It's the power of the cross. If you can get there, what can stop you? What can stop you? There, there's nothing. The ultimate fear for man is death. That's like, it's actually what drives us to do all kinds of things. Is that fear of death. <clears throat> and so if we can get to understand the power of the cross, already get there, um, overcoming evil through the power of the cross is, is a tremendously powerful weapon. It's, it's, it really ultimately comes down to this idea of complete trust and surrender and, and uh, I think that's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. It's something you will have to do daily. Complete trust and surrender. <clears throat> and until you get to this place, I don't know if we're going to quite be able to fight this fight. This fight we're called to overcome evil. I don't know if we're going to quite be able to fight it the way Jesus really wants us to. Too often, I'm going to get in the way. And my response is going to be selfish and defending myself. And it's going to be tough to really fight evil the way God wants us to. And, and so I, I've actually run into this question quite a bit, or in discussions, someone might say, well, personally, I'm there. I'm a, I'm, I take up my cross. I'm okay to die. But what do I do when it's my family or it's my loved ones? or it's someone else, some innocent person, then what do I do? Can't take their cross for them, or can you? Do we have just two responses? Is our only response either just to get in there and fight that person, or is the other response to just, I can't do anything, and walk away? Is that our only two options? I'm suggesting that there's a better way. There's a better way, and maybe, this goes back to the idea of taking up our cross. Maybe sacrificing my body or my life for the innocent ones or for the, our loved ones is what we're called to do. But can you do that without force? That's, it's the example Jesus. It's the exact same example Jesus gave us when he took up his cross. That's exactly what he did for us. He overcame evil. He took your spot. He took my spot. I have two stories here that illustrate this. wasn't sure how to, to explain this idea. These stories illustrate it powerfully. The one is, is a story of the time, this goes back to Bulgaria. Um, this was in World War II. There's a slow country beside Germany, Bulgaria, and they had, they had actually had a league with Nazi Germany. They, were not, they weren't ever taken over by war, um, and so they had a league with Nazi Germany at this time. <clears throat> and later on, 
some point into World War II there, <clears throat> excuse me, Germany had worked out an agreement with, with the Bulgarian government that they would come and they would take all the Jews and they were going to, their intent was to ship them over to Auschwitz. And, and the Christians in Bulgaria, a number of them found out about this and wanted to do something and weren't sure what their response should be. They weren't going to fight. Even if they would have, they would have majorly lost. Um, but they decided on another way. And so the night, sorry, this, this one is, is tough for me to read every time. So the night they heard that the Nazis were coming to load the Jews, they were going to load them onto the train, take them off to Auschwitz. That night, here comes, here comes the bishop of Bulgaria. And the, the story goes there's somewhere between, I think it was 800 to 1,000 Christians with him. They show up at this, plane where the, this place where the train is coming in, and all the Jews are gathered together, ready, ready to take them off. And they, they walk right up to the Nazi soldiers. They push the guns aside. They, they go up to the, the, this group of Jews. And the, the bishop stands in front of the Jews, and he quotes Ruth 116. He says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God <clears throat> excuse me, will be my God. There the bishop of Bulgaria stands. There's about a thousand Christians behind him. And they're ready to die. Um, as the story goes, there's a number of them put themselves in front of the train. They put themselves between the, the Nazi soldiers and the Jews. And I think their plan was either be killed first or be taken with. That was their way of fighting evil. Um, it, it, this, is, this is what happened then. The, the Nazis, the soldiers were so frustrated. Um, and I think it took a number of hours or much of the night was spent in trying to figure out what to, what to do, what to do with these, these, these Christians. They wouldn't fight. They were just in the way. And I think there was even communication with their superiors. They didn't know what to do. No one really knew what to do. And in frustration, after a number of hours, they left. And not a single Jew was taken from the country of Bulgaria. They got in the way of evil. There's another story. And this goes back to the fourth century. Not that long after Jesus was on this earth. Mm, excuse me. And there's, there's a story of a monk named Telemachus. He comes out of the country and is, comes into the city one day, and he follows the crowd into the Colosseum, and he saw gladiators come forth. From, from reading the story, I would gather that this was a totally new thing to him. He was a monk, so maybe that and he was a godly man, and he sees this, and he's shocked by the evil. <laughs> anyway, he sees the gladiators come forth and do their usual routine. They'd stand before the emperor and say, you know, we who are about to die salute you. And I think he, he's, at that point he realizes that they were going to fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowd. And he cries out in the name of Christ, stop. And his and according to the story, his voice is pretty much lost in the tumult. Not many people hear. But he kind of creates this little ruckus. Um, and, and, you know, but the crowd's into this fight. As the games begin, 
the crowds would see, saw this scrawny little figure make his way out into the sand over to the gladiators, repeatedly saying, in the name of Christ, stop. Many thought this was part of the entertainment, and at first they were amused. But then when realizing it wasn't, more and more of the crowd grew belligerent and angry. As he was pleading with the gladiators, in the name of Christ, stop, one of them plunged his sword into his body, and he fell to the sand of the arena in death. His last words were, in the name of Christ, stop. And suddenly a strange thing happened. The gladiators stood up. Sorry, reading this wrong. And the gladiators stood there looking at this tiny form lying in the sand. Silence fell over the Colosseum. Someplace in the upper tiers, an individual made his way to the exit and left. Others began to follow. In dead silence, everyone left the Colosseum. And to this day, that was the last battle to the death between gladiators and the Roman Colosseum. One tiny voice that could hardly be heard in the name of Christ, stop. I think that's something we could be saying throughout the world today. We don't just have two options, like so many hypothetical situations that you know, people propose, you know, if this evil would happen or if this would happen, what do you do? And usually the two options are you fight and take that person out or you just don't do anything. I don't think that's what we're taught in the Bible and I don't think that's what many Christians in the past in our history would have believed or lived. We do respond to evil, but not through force. And I think the best way is through this idea of laying down your life for another, getting in the way of evil. It's the example Jesus set for us. It's a powerful way to overcome evil. And like I said earlier, it, this happens again and again in the stories of Martyr's Mirror and other, other interesting stories in history. When someone is willing to do this, Many times it costs them their life. Um, you know, the story of Bulgaria, it didn't. That was, that's a powerful story. But many times it costs them their life. But there was many others brought to salvation through that. Is, our, is my life more precious than the souls of others? That's kind of what we imply when, when my safety is number one. This may be shifting gears just a little bit, but I was thinking about what we face. What do we face as a church? And, you know, we don't have to, you know, we, we, we do experience evil. Maybe not Colosseum-type evil, but there's other evil in the country around us. We don't face persecution, at least not like the Jews were experiencing World War II and, and other Christians have throughout history. But, but we do face a lot of evil and pressure, pressure around us, whether it comes through, through media, through news, 
through government, through authorities. There's a lot of pressure through our neighbors, pressure and evil. There's a bent on promoting evil, and we face that all the time. How do we respond to that kind of pressure? What do we do? Do we just grumble and complain about it and stress about it? Do we try to live in seclusion? Sometimes I'll admit that would probably be the easiest. Um, do we go to Washington and protest? That might get us somewhere, maybe. Do we vote in new laws? Are we trying to change the laws? How do we overcome that kind of evil around us? Charles Moore, had, I'm going to read this. I, I, I was going to try to maybe go in depth with a little more. I'm just going to read this. Listen carefully. Charles Moore once said, and this would be in response to how do we deal with evil pressure around us or yeah, just evils of our country. He says, a prophetic church does not first focus on engaging in politics, but on demonstrating a better way. It actually practices the truth it proclaims. The faithful church will indeed con confront the broader culture, but not primarily by pouncing on certain social evils or public policies. If we are concerned about society's moral decline, the, the, the idea of being overcome by evil, which it feels like, we will concentrate our efforts on doing God's will and holding each other accountable to it. If we are concerned about the breakdown of the family, or the demise of marriage, we will demonstrate that in Christ, husbands and wives can remain faithful, and that children are most happy when welcomed and nurtured in families. If it is the vulnerability of the unborn that outrageous, then we will surround expectant mothers and their babies with the kind of support that affords them a truly meaningful life. If racial division or injustice upset us, then we in our congregations will repent of our own complicity and find ways to demonstrate that black and white, rich and poor, can indeed live and work together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Tyrell. Appreciate it. It's this idea of, of living out demonstrating what faithful Christian living looks like. You could say cross-bearing. It's a powerful weapon against the evil in our society, or a good way, a very good way, to fight evil in our society or culture around us. Let's not be overcome by evil, but overcome. What, what is our outcome if we follow Jesus' example? So we fight the fight the way Jesus wants us to. What's our outcome? It's a victory. It's, it's, what, it's what Jesus experienced. Uh, we already know our outcome. Jesus died. He overcame, he overcame death and evil with, by his death. He's victorious today. That's who we're following. He, he's the one who told us how to fight this way. Colossians 2.15 it's a powerful verse, interesting. I, it kind of excites me. I, I never really read it this way before. I'll just read it. Colossians 2.15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, 
triumphing over them in it. He, he overcame evil. He showed us how to do it. And we know that if we follow him, the end is victory. Whether we die or whether we live, can we say like Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain? And, and if, if, that's, if that, that's in front of us, the victory, the future, the hope of eternity, there's a, there's a, there's, there should be a boldness that comes over us that is unstoppable. Boldness in the face of evil. That and that happens through prayer. And we can fight through prayer. We can fight through love. Taking up our cross. Getting in the way of evil. There should be a boldness to do that. <clears throat> in closing, I want to read Revelation 12, 11. And it just says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. I want to just encourage us, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's kneel in prayer.